0: Welcome to Keys of the Kingdom, I'm Brother Gregory and we're going to talk about the Kingdom of God and it's been an interesting week, Uh, this is uh, when the United States chose a new president and people poured out into the streets to demonstrate uh, their their dissatisfaction with the choice that uh, their electorate has made. And uh, many people are upset, but of course we all know that if you vote, you can't complain. Uh, you're participating in the, uh, the process, and the process has spoken. Uh, the majority have ruled, and therefore the minority must go along with it. And of course in this case, the majority of the Electoral College chose Trump. And that's just the way the system is created. People don't like it. They can complain about it if they want, but their complaints should be peaceful, uh, not violent. And uh, we see a lot of violent demonstrations against uh, the choice that the people have made. And this is, this is kind of interesting. There has actually been choices in the past in history that people have made, uh, like when the people chose to have a king over them, in 1 Samuel 8, uh, the voice of the people, it says, uh, chose to have a king, and they went to Samuel and said, "Give us a king." And that king was given a certain amount of power, but it was very limited power. There was actually something that they were to write down according to the uh, Tanakh, the the Old Testament, in Deuteronomy 17. They explain this, what you, if you ever decide to have a king, you need to write this down, and your priests are to read it daily to your king so that he knows that he cannot do this, 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 this thing. And uh, there were five things that they, they mentioned there, and that was to be written down. That's like a constitution written down that a king couldn't do. And, of course, in the United States Constitution, they only included one of those five things that a king couldn't do. So the president of the United States had more power at the beginning of the writing of the Constitution than Saul. And Saul was to lose his kingdom because he began to violate some of those five principles. One of them was he forced an offering. In other words, he taxed the people. So even when Israel had a king, he theoretically could not tax the people without violating these four or five precepts that were laid down from the beginning. But, of course, uh, Samuel knew because God had told him that this is what would happen. A king would take take and take and take and take and take and he didn't take your sons and daughters and you use them for his purposes. You take the best you know, fruits of your labor and, uh, and the best of your lands and give them to his people. And of course, we've seen that lately. Uh, the whole thing with uh, that Bundy, most people don't understand uh, what Bundy and them were doing. They were trying to keep uh, land in the hands of the states keep land that was in private hands, in the hands of the people that was being uh, taken, literally in some cases stolen by uh, overzealous federal agencies. And, of course, once they take that land away, then then government privilege allows certain companies to come in and mine that land, uh, take the mineral rights, take the water rights, and use them for, uh, you know, profit. And, uh, like the Hammond Ranch is right in the middle of, uh, a huge mineral right deposit. And they want to get rid of the Hammonds. So they've been steadily working on getting rid of the Hammonds. They went to jail five years apiece, ten years total, uh, for committing no crime, for doing no injury. Now they were convicted, but they, they there was clearly, uh, misconduct. In the conducting of the trial, the, the bringing of charges, uh, they even admitted in the trial, judge even admitted that there probably wasn't even a hundred dollars worth of damage, but yet they were sent off to jail. He wouldn't even give them the full sentence of the crime he was supposedly, uh, finding them guilty of, which they did not do. And, uh, but, yeah, they are in jail, and they were also forced into signing an agreement that if they sold their property, they had to sell it to the government because the government was being used to obtain the mineral rights of their land so that they could give those mineral rights to somebody else to mine. And, uh, their stocks are already in existence, uh, and some of those are in the Clinton Foundation to uh, obtain that, uh, those mineral rights. And the same thing with the Hague Ranch down in California and Nevada, and the same with the Bundy Ranch down in Nevada, that they're, they're taking this property away. Same with 400 ranchers in Idaho, that they want to turn it into a national monument, and then this puts these people out of business. And they're... They're worried about their livelihood because there's this huge land grab. We knew this was coming if we had read Samuel 8, if you had read Common Sense, which quotes the entire text of Samuel, First uh, Samuel 8, that if you give power to men, they will take and take and take and take and take. Now, the interesting thing is that a lot of these people that are... Uh, demonstrating and violently demonstrating. I mean, there were people actually being dragged out of their cars because they had a Trump sticker. People are actually, uh, their cars are smashed because they had a Trump sticker on their car. Um, We saw that during the election where people were constantly tearing down Trump signs and throwing them into the trash and stealing property and damaging property when people supported Trump. But you didn't see the same spirit Coming from the other way, they actually were hiring people to cause trouble at the Trump rallies and to try to create and instigate fires, uh, fights and things like that, and this has all come out. And uh, But most people who don't want to believe it simply won't believe it. But the evidence is really clear there. You know, when Obama was elected, you didn't see these demonstrations, but now you do they see these kinds of demonstrations. So... There's a different spirit that is moving in society today than, than we have seen in a while. It's always been around. And it's this spirit of, if you don't agree with me, they, they want to, you know, beat you or kill you or destroy your property or smash things and, and burn down businesses because somebody has a different opinion and it's this disrespect for other people's property of course that is to be expected in a socialist system and the united states has been a socialist a democratic socialist government since before fdr i mean fdr's new deal was wasn't a new deal it's the same old same old socialism where the government owns everything and they get you you know they redistribute wealth, they take away a portion of your labor you know from each according to his ability and to each according to his need, and somebody has to make that decision, and the one who makes that decision is the man with the power, and that's socialism that's what's, it's not it's not the community I mean, if that were true, then why are they so upset because they lost the election? and evidently not through election fraud there was evidence that was election fraud uh coming from the other side <laughs> but none really uh, coming from the republican side and probably cuz they i don't know there was certainly uh, the republican party didn't like the fact that Donald Trump was running now i don't believe that Donald Trump is the is your salvation i don't think that he's going to solve Anything He may pick a different Supreme Court justice, certainly, than uh, his opponent would have picked. Uh, and he may, you know, he's, he's got a big, long list of things that he intends to do if he gets to the White House, because he hasn't got there yet. And uh, there's an awful lot. Of, when you're dealing with millions, even billions and trillions of dollars, um, you know, somebody once said that if uh, voting made a difference, they wouldn't let you do it. Um, they don't, those people aren't going to give up those millions and billions and trillions of dollars. They're going to do something to make sure they're either going to make a deal with Trump or Trump's not going to stay alive for long. And we've seen this before in history that, uh, you know, follow the money. I mean, Christ was crucified because he fired the money changers who were the porters of the temple. If you didn't know that... You need to go to our websites and find out who the money changers were and what was really going on in the temple and how the temples were being used, both both in Jerusalem, in Syria, in, uh, in Rome. What were these temples? What were they doing in these temples? And what would you find today if you looked out into society and tried to find similar temples? Because the temple that was, Jerusalem Temple wasn't doing what churches do today. No, the churches do today is nothing like what what synagogues do today. It's nothing like what the temple was doing at the time of Herod and Jesus Christ. Uh, As a matter of fact, what Christians do today is more like what the Pharisees were doing and maybe some of the zealots, the fundamentalists are more like the zealots uh, than what the early Christians were doing. They, as a matter of fact, the early Christians were doing something quite the opposite. And so, anyway, we have lots of information on that. We put up several web pages just this uh, week. I uh, put up one, Logos, just this morning. Uh, and it contained uh, information about what the Logos was at the time of early Christianity. And it was actually mentioned in the Justinian Codes that the Logos was church ID. It was uh, identifying documents that identified you and it allowed you to pass through the streets unharmed. And uh, that was called the Logos, which is the Greek word for the word. What's the word? And, uh, let me see your ID. Let me see who you are. And that's the way that worked. I mean, you You don't understand little bits and pieces of history like that, you're not going to understand the Bible when you read it. If you don't know who the fathers of the earth are, then you don't know what Jesus meant when he said, call no man father upon the earth. If you don't know that the emperor was called our father, who art in Rome, then you don't know the significance of our father who art in heaven. Because Jesus said, pray to that father, not to the fathers of the earth. If you don't know that all the senators of Rome were called conscripted patri, then you, which is conscripted fathers, because that's where all your benefits were coming from. And did you know all those benefits came by way of those temples? Where you registered your birth and, and your citizenship and your right to vote. Did you know you had a right to vote in Rome? Did you know that the emperor was elected by the Electoral College of Rome? And that he had a 10-year term of office? Same with the president of Rome. Same with the guy who appointed the judges throughout the empire who were called gods. And that's all that means. The pointer of gods was the pointer of judges. You don't know these things, then when you read the Bible, you're not going to get it. You're not going to understand So anyway, we're sharing that information for free. don't have to buy any books or membership or special $10. We just tell you. And I noticed, you know, some of the pages that we put up have had 10,000, 15,000 visitors. Uh, We just put up, well, we put up a video a while ago, and there hadn't been that many people who saw it, but now we have it on our webpage, Follow the Rabbit. And it talks about the system, how the system works, how the system of Rome worked, how the system of Christianity worked. Christians today are following Rome. They have no king but Caesar. They say they have a king, one Jesus. Some will say that. But in reality, they're not doing what the early Christians did. Because the early Christians were doing contrary to the decrees of Caesar, which was legal because of the fact that they had Private religion, they they didn't sign up for the free bread offered by the Roman government. They, they rightly divided the bread of Christians from house to house. They had set the table of the Lord. And they had set it with faith, hope, and charity and the perfect law of liberty. They did not believe it morally correct to force your neighbor to provide you with benefits. Today, that is not only accepted by the socialists of the world, uh, which there are many today. I mean, you got universities with over 95% of the faculty are democratic socialists. Some of them are actually communist socialists. They don't believe in democracy at all. They've gone beyond democracy. I mean... Karl Marx was in favor of democracy, he says, because democracy leads to socialism, and socialism leads to communism. So he was in favor of democracy. But most of your college professors, uh, almost all in some universities, are teaching your children socialist concepts. And then these people who come out of these universities, they become the teachers in your high schools and grade schools, and they're priests. You know, kids were let off from school to go and protest the election of Trump. Isn't that amazing? They, they, They let them out of school in some places to go protest the election of Trump. Well, that's because your teachers have already been brainwashed by going to the universities that teach these ideas. But I promise to talk to you about the mysteries of the kingdom. But I'm, I'm laying some foundation here. You know, I put up a video on Facebook that uh, was going around. It was being taken down, and as a matter of fact, it's not there in its entirety. It got so violent when the car zoomed off, dragging the owner of the car, that uh, Facebook made them take that part off. You get to see where young men are beating up an old man. Knocking him to the ground, hitting him in the head, coming up and hitting him from behind in the head, uh, drag him out of his car because he had a Trump sticker on his car because he was for Trump. And, and people edgy, edging these, uh, egging these, uh, young men, uh, on to go and beat this old man up unfairly, unjustly, hitting him from behind, and, and he's an old man as well and in broad daylight on public streets and uh and people think that's okay some people think that's okay and of course we have the demonstrators out smashing car windows smashing business windows damaging property throwing molotov cocktail because they don't like the election they don't understand the section 802 of the USA Patriot Act public law number 107-52 says that all those people engaged in uh, violent demonstrations because they don't like people voting for Trump are classified as domestic terrorists under that act. That's right. The governor of Oregon should be sending out uh, the militia, if necessary, certainly the state troopers, to arrest those people. This is a federal crime. Uh, they should be charged by a fed- as a federal crime. Anybody who smashes a window of a car that has a Trump sticker should be arrested as a domestic terrorist according to their law. Any person engaged in domestic terrorism, if they, uh, they're, they are considered ga- engaged in domestic terrorism, if they do an act dangerous to human life, that is a violation of a criminal laws of the state of the United States if the act appears to be intended, just intended. You know, we we talk about dangers to human life. They don't actually have to threaten your life. They just have to intimidate or coerce a civilian population. They do anything to intimidate or coerce a civilian population, that is an act of domestic terrorism. So all those people out there, you know, chanting violence, and in many cases doing violence, and attacking little old men, they are in violation of the Patriot Act. And you should go out and arrest them. They are far more in violation of the Patriot Act than uh, Ammon Bundy. Ever was you know the reason they were acquitted is because the government was so I shouldn't say the government at least those people who were prosecuting them uh, were so uh blatantly arrogant in their approach most people don't know that most of the people most of the guns that were brought on to that refuge belonged to the FBI uh there was fifteen FBI informants in there, but only seven people being charged. so more than half you know twice as many people <laughs> were FBI agents in there, and informants uh, in there, the bringing on guns, setting up the rifle range, all done by the FBI. wasn't done by uh, Bundys. Uh, they weren't intimidating the employees. The employees that already shut down the offices and were not intending to come back before the Bundys even showed up. You know, the reason that the jury acquitted them is because they actually found the facts. You don't find the facts if you read the paper or listen to the news. They're not giving you the facts. They're not telling you that these, these uh, violent protesters are domestic terrorists and according to their rules they should be arrested and put into jail, and could be put into jail. Even as a domestic terrorist, you you could forego trials and hold them indefinitely. You don't know, you don't read the laws. You don't realize the spirit that's coming. They say in here they can take take and take and take and take and take and take, and they can take your sons and daughters. They've already taken the minds of your sons and daughters. Just to intimidate with the intention of influencing the the policies of government by intimidation or coercion is domestic terrorism. To affect the conduct of a government by mass destruction. You know, going out and breaking windows and all these things and and destroying cars and and damaging buildings. This is all domestic terrorists and by their standards should be arrested. But the reason I'm bringing this up is so you can see a spirit that comes up in people. Parents didn't see this coming, many of them. Some have and they've taken their kids out of schools. They don't see the insidious nature of how this creeps into your society and into the thinking of your children. Now, Now we're going to taken another step back and see what's creeping into your own thinking when we come back and we're going to talk about trust we're going to talk about the ministry we're going to talk about how clever satan is to get into your mind and alter your ability to see the truth we'll be right back Welcome back to keys of the kingdom. Um, What were the temptations of Jesus? Does anybody know what all those were? Can you remember those? Can you recall them? I'm not going to tell you right now. But uh, why was Jesus being tempted, and why in that particular manner? I can tell you this: that the temptation uh, that Jesus that the Bible talks about concerning. jesus those temptations are metaphors as we see that uh represented there that's the. it was probably originally taken from a hebrew text when somebody wrote those out uh and that uh, and hebrew is full of the metaphors and so consider that what What are they really trying to tell us? The nature of the temptations of Christ at that time. What were those temptations? Because Saul faced the same temptations. And uh, we talk about it in the Saul Syndrome. We talk about it in an article on underwear, which is really about the breeches of uh, the Levites that there is this temptation and this uh, need to be able to endure temptation. You can be called to be a minister of Christ, and you can fall prey to these temptations. And, of course, we know that society is tempted by democracy. Democracy is power. At least you think it's power. You get to vote, and the guy you get in or the gal you get in is going to set policy for everybody else. So if you can get the majority of the people to elect your guy, your guy will now begin to alter the way that the rest of society operates because they've been given the power to do so. And that power will often grow because the leaders tempt you. And, of course, they tempt you to covet your neighbor's goods. They tempt you with benefits. They offer you benefits that they're going to provide by taking something away from your neighbor. And you think that's okay, to covet your neighbor's goods. You think it's okay to take a bite out of your neighbor, as it says in the Bible. Uh, Be careful, you do not bite one another lest you be devoured. They, They think it's okay to covet your neighbor's goods. And they get you doing that where you will want benefits at the expense of your neighbor and you say well everybody everybody uh, has to pay in and so it's fair so we all get to bite one another, and once we've bitten one another, we get to ha- our, our leaders will have lots of money and they will you know give us health care and free education. That was one of the big things. Everybody thought that Hillary was going to forgive their student loans. You've got thousands and thousands of of young people owing millions upon millions of dollars in student loans. Many of them will probably never, ever be able to pay them off. And all of that was lobbied in to make money for the colleges. It wasn't lobbied in so that you get free education. It was lobbied in so that the college tuitions could be really high. And uh, that's why a lot of your medical services are so high, because they're lobbying in insurance. And a lot of insurance companies are going out of business, but the big ones who got Obamacare lobbied in, they're going to make a fortune because they're eliminating competition. And all this is going on right in front of your eyes, and nobody sees it, or very few people see it. The majority don't see it, because their eyes have already got scales on them. They've already been darkened. Now, relate this over to the ministry. Relate this over to the Levites. Relate this over to the early church. They had to guard against these temptations of Christ, where you think you can turn men, into loaves of bread. Stones always represented the ministers of the altars. As a matter of fact, the altars were not made out of stone. They were made out of men. That's what a gathering of stone was, a council of men. To turn those stones into bread means to turn those ministers to serve you rather than serve God. And Jesus was tempted with that, but he he did not he was not overcome by the temptation. uh The Pope was tempted with that, and he he was overcome by the temptation <laughs> so there's there's lots of people throughout history that have been tempted with that. Well, now that the government is in the religion business because all these governments are religious in nature because religion used to be how you took care of the needy of society and all these socialist governments are taking care of the needy of society through the contributions of the people. They just have the power to force the sacrifice of the people, and that's what Saul did. That was the Saul's sentence. He forced the sacrifice of the people, and because he did that foolish thing, he did foolishly, according to Samuel, and forced the sacrifice of the people, his kingdom was not going to stand. Now, that's just common everyday uh, practices in modern governments is to force the contributions of the people to take from them to provide benefits for everybody, to redistribute the wealth, to take from those who really produce a lot and give to those who don't really produce very much. Now, they might not produce much because maybe they were injured or maybe something bad happened, But why couldn't we have taken care of them through charity? We have taken on this idea that it's okay to take from your neighbor as long as it's for a good cause. It's what the Romans called the ends justify the means. And the Romans changed that because that really wasn't what the original saying was. The original saying was the means makes the ends righteous. In other words, no matter what the end is, win or lose, it's righteous because of the means by which you did it. The motive, the intent, determines the means. The intent of the people today is to intimidate, to control, to manipulate, to force others to give them... They talk about these people breaking windows that they're anarchists. Anarchy means without rulers. They're ruling over their neighbor's stuff. They're smashing his windows. They're, they're wrecking his car. They're hitting him in the head. They aren't anarchists. They are archists. Who are out of control. (laughs) Who are immoral. They're not anarchists. They're not without, they want to be the ruler. Okay, now let's keep edging this back to the ministry. There is a natural tendency in the fallen man to make somebody a ruler. Cain, Nimrod, Pharaoh, Caesar, Saul, to put them up in a position of rule because they are the fallen man. They've already rejected God in their hearts and they will... Put some man on a pedestal of power. They do it with doctors. They do it with lawyers. They do it with evangelists and ministers. They they put this man and make him a reverend up on a pedestal, and they will. They do it in you know in governments. They do. It, they will die for that man. They will charge into battle for that man. For death and glory. Because they trust in that man. They don't trust in righteousness. They trust in that man. And that man likes being trusted. Saul was a great guy. Then he was given power by the people who trusted in Saul to continue to be a great guy. But when they gave him power... He was corrupted by that power. He did not overcome the temptation that men placed upon him, which is that temptation of power. That loyalty. That, yeah, whatever you say, I will do that. I will go here. I will go there. They weren't being guided by the Holy Spirit. They weren't being guided by the tree of life. They were being guided by a man who said, do this, do that. You can't do it that way. It's corrupting your ministers, it's corrupting your doctors and your lawyers and your politicians because you're giving them power that was not meant for man over man. You can do this very subtly or you can do it, you know, to the extreme. You know, when we see them giving power to the Hitlers of the world. We say that's an extreme. But the same thing was going on in America at the same exact time they were giving power to FDR, who was a democratic socialist. You know what Nazi means? Nazi means the Democratic Socialist Party. Hitler and FDR were both democratic socialists. They both believed in taking a bite out of One class of citizen to provide for the other. They did not believe in charity. Now there was more charity back then in the days of FDR, so they, you couldn't say they didn't believe in any charity. But they did not trust in the righteousness of charity. Of faith, hope, and love. Of the perfect law of liberty. They did not trust in that. And the people did not trust in that. They trusted in FDR. So, if we had a minister who was really good, should we trust in that minister? No. There is spiritual pathways. There are spiritual strings and cords, if you might want to call them, connecting us to heaven. And you must allow those cords to root deep into your hearts, deep into your mind. And anything that takes you away from the light of that cord begins to sever your connection with God. Now, how do you strengthen the connection with God? You know what the cord made out of? Many strands. If you want to weave yarn, you you first you twist it together. And there's little scales and wool. And uh, there's also a little... Uh, cellular scales also in flax or any of these things. So when you're going to spin them together, you will make a thread. And that thread has a certain amount of strength to it. But if you really want it to be strong, you ply it. You, You spin it together with another thread that's spun in the opposite direction, and it weaves together and forms... A piece of yarn. You can do the same with rope. Just make it stronger and stronger and stronger, so that it weaves together, it plies together. And this is this is man. Man has these hair-like connections between him and God. And you have ten connections, hundred connections, thousand connections. And you see the evidence of God working in his life because of these connections. But they are only as strong as the ply, as they are woven together in all aspects, what they call the full armor of God. So if you say, oh, well, I don't cuss, I don't swear, I don't murder, I don't uh, bear false witness, but I do covet my neighbor's goods. You know, I do, here's another, what's the first two, three commandments talking about I am the Lord thy God, thou shalt not have other gods before me. Did you know that if you put somebody up on a pedestal of reproach, where you say, hey, I trust this guy. If he tells me to do this, I will do it. If you do that, you're in violation of the first couple of commandments. You're putting, you're trusting in that man. You can't do that. Not even a little bit. You have to trust in God. That doesn't mean you treat the man as if you don't trust him. But you take everything he says and you measure it with the Holy Spirit. If he tells you, go do this. You don't necessarily go do that. Now, we do have the parable of the Roman centurion. I, too, am a man of authority. I say, go here, and he goes here. I say, go there, and he goes there. I don't have to go and check, on. I know it will be done. So you say, well, that's sort of a trust. He's a man of authority over others... But the ministers of Christ are told that we are not to be like the governments of the Gentiles who exercise authority one over the other. The way in which we become ministers is that we become servants. And the way Christ was head of the kingdom of God was that he made himself a servant to all. They didn't have trust even in the personification of Jesus, but they had trust in the Holy Spirit of Jesus. That also guided their actions. Jesus gave them directives, but he gave them directives that sent them out on their own with nothing but the Holy Spirit in them. He even told them at first to go out without a purse. So that they could learn that going out without a purse that I could still be taken care of because the Holy Spirit can manipulate this, this, and this to make these happen. Now eventually, he said, take your purse. Take your cloak. Take a sword, even. Because God doesn't want you not to have power. He wants you to learn to handle power. One of the very first things that God did for man was he gave him a woman who is usually less in stature, doesn't have the same muscular strength, could be easily repressed, but, you know, she, she's receptive. You could exercise authority. She is a walking temptation of exercising authority, of man abusing his power over that woman. By her very nature, she tempts a man to do that. Not not by choice, but by her nature, because she's weaker, generally speaking. In, in some physical ways, she's weaker. In spiritual ways, she can be just as strong as <laughs> man, and sometimes is stronger. But it's not right that man be alone, that he had to face these temptations, because it tests the mettle of the man. Saul fell to the temptation of being king. David fell to the temptation of being king and abused his power. He repented of it. Saul fell on a sword. Who had power of the purse amongst the apostles? Judas Iscariot. Why did Judas Iscariot turn Christ over to the Sanhedrin? Because he thought he was still thinking that we are this kingdom like the kingdoms of the world, and he thought Jesus would take his power and place there. He wasn't trying to betray Jesus. He had already betrayed God in his mind. He had rejected God in his mind to some degree. I mean, he went along with the people. They give us one story where Judas scared, is maybe showing the fact that he is falling to this temptation. It is Seeking the kingdom is mostly about letting go of ideas that we already have in our heads and they we don't really have those ideas, those ideas have us. We have to not want to exercise authority. I mean, isn't that what men are often tempted to do? Or, Boy, I would like to give him a piece of my mind, or I'd like to smack him, or I'd like to, you know, those people should all be arrested. You know, like when I was talking about those people out there committing these violent acts, I'm just saying according to their law, those men should be arrested as domestic terrorists. They like to make rules, they just don't like to follow rules. And this is what you find with most of the people who say they're anarchists. They say, oh, we don't want any rulers, but then they go out and they're smashing somebody else's car. They're ruling over somebody else's stuff and even hitting other people because they really aren't against rulers. They just don't want to be ruled over themselves. They don't mind ruling over others. People who want to vote in rulers that do not want to obey the rules are the seedbed of tyranny. This is what brings, all these people out there accusing Mr. Trump of being a fascist, I'm not going to say all of them, but many of them are the seedbed of fascism. And that's why you see these violent demonstrations. You see these people so angry and, you know, making hand gestures and saying certain words and all this stuff is because they are the seedbed of tyranny. Because they don't come to serve. They come to be served. This is the nature of socialism, and drawing in the people who want to be taken care of, who want to be served, who want free stuff. And we all have that seed in us. You know, that free stuff that we want from others. You know, whether it's, you know, health care or... or public schools, you know, public school is welfare, it's educational welfare. I mean, most of the people in America were educated outside of public schools before 1910. They were educated in private schools. Now, we hear Trump talking about some of the things that he wants to do is he wants to give everybody, you know, guarantee, probably executive order, maybe maybe he'll get a bill passed, that you get to choose what educational. He's talking about vouchers. I Don't take them. I'm not advising you to take vouchers. But he's talking about vouchers for people who go to private schools, even homeschool, et cetera, et cetera. Don't take those vouchers. If You go see what happened in Alaska where they did this. Uh, it's devastating. Don't bite the cheese. It's hooked to a trap. <laughs> okay? <laughs> Write that down. Uh, some of the ideas that Trump has is, uh, you know, he says that no one should be required to buy insurance unless he or she wants it. What an original idea. Uh, I, does he realize that automobile insurance, were all required <laughs> by that, and, you know? Uh, he says modify existing laws that inhibit the sale of health insurance across state lines. That was all brought in in order to get monopolies. Why would you prohibit sale of insurance across state lines? That helps. Well, they they actually pass them saying that they're trying to prevent monopolies, but they're actually lobbied in a lot of times by companies that want to create monopolies because most insurance companies actually underwrite their insurance or have their insurance underwritten by another bigger insurance company like St. Paul Insurance Company. That underwrites for State Farm and and uh, I can't remember all the different ones, State Farm and, um, uh, and um, I don't know, Prudential? I, I'm not even sure. There's a big, long list of companies that insure their insurance policies with St. Paul Insurance Company. they just got had money just coming out their ears back when I was in charge of security there. Uh it was astounding what was actually going on in their ticker tape and you know, their printouts from government. They had their hands in everything. Um and 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 everybody, you know, if you're hearing about them in the news, they probably don't have the real power. I mean like Soros, do you think he really has the real power or is there somebody else who's funding Soros? But anyway, uh We're going to take a look at some of this idea of trust and how it creeps into our thinking and what we have to do as individuals to really move in the direction of liberty under God. Okay, we'll be right back. Keep the
1: You can also find us on the web at www.hisholychurch.net.
0: Welcome back to Keys of the Kingdom. We're talking about the mysteries of the Kingdom. And again, the kingdom is originally spiritual, but you got to re- realize that all of creation was originally spiritual, but then was made what we call reality, brought into existence by the Spirit of God moving upon the waters, moving upon uh, the substance of the universe. Actually, the substance of the universe is actually created out of The word of God, words are vibration. It's our larynx vibrating. God doesn't even have a larynx. God vibrating brings things into existence. There are these two forces, one that gives life and one that takes life. And part of life is choice. So things that take choice away from you take your life away from you. If you take choice away from others, you're taking life away from others. If you let somebody put you up on a pedestal of authority, whether you're electing them to an authoritarian office created by a contractual nature of government or simply a ministry, you are taking away the life thereof. You're turning them in to emotional, spiritual, even physical bread for your purposes. Which your purposes may be good. Saul's purposes was good at first. But Saul was corrupted by the power that people gave him. And people who, you know, I love to quote, socialism is the religion people get when they have no religion. Religion is how you take care of the needy of the world, the media around you, you either do it by faith, open charity, or you do it by force, fear, and violence. You've been doing it by force, fear, and violence in this society for almost 100 years. You've moved to becoming a socialist state way back in 1916, 1913, 1933. I mean, just date after date after date were steps towards a socialist state where it was okay to covet your neighbor's goods through the agency of men who exercised authority one over the other, even though Jesus said it was not to be that way with you, you've been that way for almost a hundred years. And more and more of that way with every decade. And yet you still call yourself a follower of Christ, a Christian. You cannot follow Christ while going the opposite direction Christ said to go. You can only turn around and start heading back. And when you head back, you know what happens? One of those little threads, those golden threads, those silver threads of life, the those dendrites of the mind of God connect with your heart and your mind. And your eyes begin to become open again. You begin to see things. You don't have to try to be good. You can't help yourself. You have to be good. Because you've chosen to eat of the tree of life, to follow the Holy Spirit. If you think following Christ is about memorizing what Christ said and trying by your own effort to do what Christ said, you're in grave error. You're eating of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. You need to repent of that. You need to surrender. You do not need to read the Bible to understand who Jesus Christ is. To have the knowledge of Christ. It's fine to read it. But do not use the pulp printed book as your source. You sit down and read it with the Holy Spirit when the Holy Spirit says to sit down and read it. (laughs) <laughs> that's, that's critical to understanding God. You don't want to understand the Bible. You want to understand God. Once you understand God, the Bible is written on your heart and your mind. And then when you read it, you'll say, well, what does he mean here? There must be something more to this because this is not clear. People have told me this means this, but that doesn't make sense. So then you all of a sudden, that's what we've done over the last lifetime. We went back and we studied history, and we said, oh, when he said, call no man father upon the earth, he was talking about the men they called father upon the earth then. If you don't know who those men were, you won't understand who those men are today because you're to call no man father upon the earth today. But we don't call senators and congressmen father. We give them the power of father, the power to make laws, I mean, you think you live in a republic? Do you even know what the definition of a republic is? In a republic, the leaders are titular. In your government, the governments are lawmakers. If they're making law, they're not titular. You're in a democracy that's within the republic. Things have changed. And some of the reasons they change changed is because the Constitution was not a biblical document. It was in the document of God. It did not have the five requirements for a government under God. Even the central government under God didn't have those five requirements, only had one. So, anyway, what do we need to know as individuals, whether you're a minister? You know, you have to minister to your minister just as your minister ministers to you. Because you have to love your neighbor, you love your minister, you love as yourself. So when you put that minister up on a pedestal, you may call it, oh, I trust in him. I trust in his judgment. Ah, you are doing him a disservice. The same as the people did, Saul a disservice when they made him king and gave him all that power and trusted in him because he was this valiant man who fought for justice, came to the aid of people time and time again. Even as a king, he did a pretty good job most of the time, but not all the time. He was corrupted by the power you gave him, and then you complain that he's corrupt. I mean, you know, the leaders in America today, I mean, everybody knows now that JFK was a bit of a womanizer. evidently had affairs with at least more than one woman. You know, LBJ said, I had more women by accident than he had on purpose. Although we wouldn't think of LBJ as such a romantic <laughs> uh Bill Clinton, well, everybody's heard his escapades. And that's totally forgiving. We couldn't get away with it, hearing about it back with LBJ and uh, and uh, JFK and all these initials. Um, but uh, B.C. there, Bill Clinton, uh, it's amazing. people just overlook it, turn a blind eye to it. But what you have is the blind leading the blind. What do you expect? The immoral led by the immoral. You are creating the universe by the choices you make. So you as an individual, what kind of choices could you make to reverse that process? What does repentance actually look like? Which way would it go? I mean, like I said, uh President-elect Trump, he's got all these plans. Many of these ideas that he has are great. I mean, they're amazing, you know. I mean, they're just common sense. Uh, He wants to, instead of federal government managing Medicaid everywhere, block grants of Medicaid would go to the states, and the states would manage it. Now, some states will do poorly, and some states will do well, and some states will come up with an invention inventive and innovative ideas and everything, and they, they, you know, will encourage that in the other states who aren't doing as well. Because they'll say, well, that's working over there. But if you step back and get the big picture, you'll see that this whole idea of forcing people to pay contributions into a health care system is doomed to failure because it's based on coveting your neighbor's goods. It's based on force. They they probably aren't going to see that. But if you were in the state of freedom, in the state of liberty, in the state of grace, you would see, I can't really have anything to do with that. Even insurance comes into question. And I'm not telling you that, you know, these things are bad. I'm just telling you what the process is. When you create offices of power, when you take from your neighbor according to his ability and give to the neighbors according to their need, you're stepping outside of the pathway, the way of Christ. You know, the Ten Commandments are really guideposts showing you the way. If you're murdering people, you're not following the path of God. You're not following the righteous path of God. You're not fall follow- you're not seeking righteousness. If you're lying, false representing things, you know, you're not following the path of God. If you're committing adultery. If you are not the husband of one wife, I mean, Trump kind of falls down on that. I mean, c- compared to Bill, he's probably a saint. But, you know, he's he, he's been a playboy flounderer for a long time. And I'm not picking on him. He's not your salvation. He may be better than somebody else. I don't really care. I'm trying to get you to the real solution, which is repentance. The real salvation is the real solution. The real salvation is character of Christ, the name of Christ, the way of Christ. Do you have the character of Christ? Or are you tempted to exercise authority one over the other? I mean, the desire to vote is one of those temptations. Now, I'm not faulting people who vote, because I know a lot of people who went out and voted, and they went out to vote you know, to vote down this bill or that bill where they were going to be imposing a new tax. If you didn't vote no, somebody would put it in, and then everybody would be stuck with it. Or they went to vote not because they thought Trump was their salvation, but because they were absolutely afraid of what was going to happen with the other person. Of course, there are many people out there voting for Hillary because they were afraid of Trump. You know, I'm astounded. where Everybody talks about Trump being... You know, uh, racist. Uh, I don't see that. You know, uh, somebody said he. You know, he wants to send all Mexicans back and take children from their parents. And uh, no, he's talking about illegals, <laughs> people that are in the country illegally, and mostly he's talking about illegals that are here committing crimes. And he is talking about. Uh, people. Well, the fact is, some of these bu- are on the books already. If you commit a felony, uh, you can be sent back, if you have a green card, you can be sent back to your own country right now. The problem is there's a lot more felonies that you could commit <laughs> today than there used to be. You know, in order to have a felony, you had to steal something of value. You know, it had to be over a certain amount of value. Nowadays, you can commit a felony because you You literally could commit a felony if you leave your pocket knife in your pocket and walk into the courthouse. That would be a felony. Because you have a pocket knife in there that you forgot about. I actually did that. You know, I I took it out the first time I went in and I went out and then I put it back on my belt and then I went back in and forgot to put it back in the car. (laughs) Oh man, those guys. They there was like five guys there with guns, and they were all excited. I thought, like, you guys got guns. I got this little pocket knife. For God's sakes, that I forgot to take out of my pocket. <laughs> you know, uh, it's just astounding that their paranoia is astounding, their anger and resentment that you see in these demonstrators who want to exercise authority over others is is astounding. But you're seeing just the tip of a spiritual iceberg that has come into the world today. Hell is almost empty. All the demons are here. And they're living in the hearts and minds of people who want to exercise authority over their neighbor, over their wives, over their children. Now, you have authority over your children, but you do not. That's another article I, I didn't I didn't send the note out, but I... I Actually, added to it this last week the rod. Go to Preparing You and look up the rod. Uh, the rod. Spare the rod, spoil the child. The rod is not something you beat your child with. The rod, you don't use the rod to beat your sheep. The rod is to guide them. If you tried to discipline sheep by beating them, you're not going to get anywhere. In the same way, if, you, if your child succumbs to uh, your, your threat of force and violence upon your child, I'm not saying you don't have a right to spank your child. I'm saying if you think that spanking your child will put him on the straight and narrow, you have flawed rationalization. Because all you're doing is setting up that child to give in to the biggest spanker, the guy with the biggest threat, he will give in to that one. The one that will cause the most pain, he will give in to that. Because that's what you're teaching them. If you want to teach them what's right, you have to use that rod in the way it was intended, as a, as a, a measuring rod, a guy showing them this is the way so that it's written upon his heart and his mind. He doesn't become good because he fears your punishment. If you do it that way, you become a tyrant, and he becomes a peon. Now, he may grow up and become a tyrant like you, but all tyrants are simply compensating for the lack of integrity. Christ had nothing to compensate for. He did not fall prey to those temptations. We fall prey to those temptations every day with little things like a vote. Oh, we get this candidate in or get that candidate in. We will be saved. If I get this minister, now in order to get this minister, i got to put him up on a pedestal or i put him up on a pedestal, then I can manipulate him. That's actually what some people do. They put somebody up on a pedestal and threaten to take him down. So they don't do things his way. Ministers of the church should be self-sufficient. They can eat of the offerings of the church. You know, that's one of the things that people think is so great about Trump, supposedly, and this is in their imagination. I don't know what the truth is. don't really care. That's another government. I'm not, I'm not interested in promoting him or, or not. But supposedly he did not need special interest money in order to run his campaign. Suppose, supposedly he didn't sell out. He's, he's a famous wheeler-dealer, so I don't know that he won't eventually. Uh, but I can tell you this, if he really has all the ideas that he has uh, and is suggesting, somebody's probably going to kill him. I mean, why do you think they killed Christ? Because he fired the money changers. And they were not going to take in whatever it was, $93 million in silver during the month of ADAR, tax month. And they were not going to get the clip in the, the session, the you know the the clip from those coins. They were not going to get their portion, so they had to get rid of them before the real election day, which was Pentecost, fifty days later than you know Passover. So follow the money. Money is what got Christ crucified. Money is probably what got JFK shot. Money is what moves, you know, money is power. Power is what moves the people. And it also moves the people who move the people, the movers and the shakers. So I don't know what the future holds, but when I look out at the people I see walking the streets today, the blindness, the minds and hearts so void of moral integrity, that they think it's okay to take away from their neighbor so that they can have free stuff. It isn't. But I can tell you this. If you, like the prodigal son, would turn around, which is the nature of repentance. I mean, that is what the word means, to turn around. At least turn around your mind and then act upon that turning around. Where you start to change the flow from what you receive to what you give. And you take the time to give wisely. to so start creating a network of charity with a faith in not force, but a faith in love. And a hope of salvation. Through the way of Christ. Not through the way of Caesar. Not through the way of Nimrod. Not through the way of religious leaders who sit up in their ivory towers and they on their pedestals of pomp but actually the humble way of Christ if you seek and have hope in that in other words come in the name of Christ like the prodigal son turn away from those benefits start homeschooling start home health you know I see people coming down with cancer and they go out and they get all these, you know, chemo and expensive drugs and stuff like that. I mean, I, I was facing a five to $7,000 operation, and somebody at church showed me, hey, you know, all you have to do is this. And I went and did it and cured the problem. It didn't cost me a dime. I put it up on the preparing news site so that other people could, who are seeking, could find can't tell you everything on a radio program. You have to seek. And you have to seek your salvation and your neighbor's salvation with the same intensity and fervor. You know, we have we have a couple of Facebook pages. There are different kinds of Facebook. There's His Holy Church and then now we have Preparing You. You should go on those pages with the intention of learning what we have to offer. And then Take that out into social media and tweet it with someone else. I saw a story where somebody did a show where they were trying to prove that Putin was manipulating uh, American opinion and supposedly the election with uh, uh, armies of trolls working in buildings uh, out there tweeting and viewing ideas and, you know, over and over again that would lead the American thinking in a particular direction. And they went to the Soviet Union to find these trolls and they found two of them, interviewed them, but now it's come out that they, weren't, they, they don't exist. These guys just heard them going around trying to find this out. They, they were in the media. They knew that nothing, no such thing existed. And uh, so they pretended to be it, and they got paid $10,000 to put on face masks and pretended to be these trolls, and this is what we do, and all this stuff. And now they'd come out and said, no, we don't do that. (laughs) Nobody does that. This is completely made up. Now, I don't know. I wouldn't put it past them to do that kind of stuff, and I wouldn't put it past many people to do that kind of stuff. But what really is manipulating you? what is really written on your heart and your mind you have to forgive then you won't want to exercise authority for everything you've taken unfairly you need to give back you know people i know people who have taken millions and millions of dollars over their lifetime and, and taking advantage of system taking advantage of the healthcare system and all this stuff and they said but now i want to give back and they give it they give back a little tiny bit by, like, creating a foundation or creating a, you know, a little nature conservancy or something like this, but they still keep control over it. <laughs> so they haven't really given it up. You know, you, you, when you... when you, God created this whole system where you get husband and wife and they produce a child and the child grows up and they give that child his freedom. Not when he's little... You know, they train him up in the ways of righteousness, hopefully. Not the ways of oppression that the father who beats his child into line thinks, oh, I have to spare the rod, spoil the child. All he's doing is passing on tyranny. I was a tyrant. My son will be a tyrant, too. He will beat his children into submission. Now, a father has a right to physical discipline, but a wise father shows and teaches the way by the same methods that Christ used, by humble service to his family. Rebuking those that he loves, not giving them, you know, free reign, but trying to instill in them, you know, the the work ethic of God. He created the world, created the universe, gave life to us, gave choice to us. And when you pick a minister, you give choices to that minister. You do not put him on a pedestal. Nor should a minister allow anybody to put him on a pedestal. To say, I have faith in you as a minister. Because the only faith you have is in God. I have the hope of you as a minister. Different story. I have a hope that you will see the ways of righteousness. So the the relationship of God and man is not the same as the relationship of man and man. We do not make men gods if we are following the righteousness of God. We do not put men on pedestals either pedestals of power or pedestals of pomp. In church, it's usually the pedestal of pomp. Reverend so-and-so. Father so-and-so. We don't, we don't hold them up because of some office in esteem. We hold righteousness in esteem. If he does righteousness, we, we give him resources to do more righteousness. If he does unrighteousness, we rebuke him and we have to withdraw our support from him because it is the job of the congregation to keep the minister, to rebuke the minister when he does wrong and to support the minister when he does right. But it is not the job to put him on a pedestal. Because that's a rejection of God. Even just putting them on a pedestal of pomp and service. That is a rejection of God. So now think about that. Think about that concept. We'll be right back to keys in the kingdom. Well, welcome back to Keys of the Kingdom. So, what does this mean to us on a day-to-day basis? Do we put anybody up on a pedestal? Lawyers, doctors, our neighbor. Uh, don't put people on pedestals. Put Christ first. Put God first. Don't, and when I say first, I mean completely first. Uh, I mean, I, you don't want to say, well, yeah, I put God first, but I really like this guy. <laughs> And because he says it, it must be true. No. You need to search your own souls for the truth. And what that means, you have to go to the light inside yourself and bring light inside yourself and see your own anger, your own selfishness, your own resentment, your own impatience with your wife, with your children, with your dog, with, with... with your neighbor, with the government. I mean, it's really easy to hate the government. You know, I mean, that's what people do. You know, or the Illuminati, or, or you know, some. It's somebody else's fault. You know, George Soros. It must be his fault. It can't be my fault. If you want the power of God, if you want the pillar of fire to burn for you. If you want that, you must seek the grace of God, which means to turn your thinking around and go the other way. You know, Paul writes, for this cause, the prison of Jesus Christ for you Gentiles. The prisoner of Jesus Christ for you Gentiles. In other words, Paul is saying he is a prisoner. I, Paul. He says, if ye have heard of the dispensation of the grace of God which is given me to you word, how that by revelation be made known unto me the mystery, as I wrote afore in a few words, whereby when we ye read, ye may understand my knowledge in the mystery of Christ, which in other ages was not made known unto the sons of men as it is now revealed unto the body uh, under the holy apostles and the prophets by the spirit. Okay, something was revealed in the spirit. they were awakened to something. they're fighting amongst each other, arguing now they had gone out and done miracles. they'd gone out without a purse, And God had provided, but they were still bickering amongst themselves because they didn't see something by the Spirit. They had seen something by the Spirit, but they hadn't seen something else by the Spirit. They needed more Spirit. Jesus said, not by the knowledge of men, not by flesh and blood, but by revelation of the Spirit. And that revelation grows and expands. So how do you get the revelation of the Spirit? What draws you near the Spirit and the Spirit to you? He goes on to say that the Gentiles should be fellow heirs of the same body and partakers of his promise in Christ by the gospel. Whereof I was made a minister according to the gift of the grace of God given unto me by the effectual working of his power, unto me who am less than the least of all the saints, is this grace given that I should preach among the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ. Unsearchable, unfindable. You can't find this by the intellect. It must be bestowed upon you by grace, by God. But still, there's something you must do. And you cannot do it intellectually. You must do it spiritually. But intellectually, I will tell you the signs that you haven't done it spiritually. That you think it's okay to put people on pedestals of pomp or power. You know, power is the governments that exercise authority and pomp is the governments that don't exercise authority but exercise authority over your thinking because they make you feel good, you know, the ear religions. You should not waste your time with them except to get them to repent, maybe, to rebuke them. You have to turn around and every little thing in every day's action, how many people upset you? how many people make you impatient? How many people make you afraid? I see some people who walk around in fear all the time, low self esteem they you know they always worry about somebody judging them, and I could go up you know and stop <laughs> slap them stop. <laughs> But uh, that isn't what a shepherd does. You know, a shepherd guides them by not, you know, the fact is you can look upon a person and, and take, you know, I've, get, I've told this story many times. And I actually, it is apropos because the, the Facebook video I put up of the young men beating up this old man because he voted for Trump. Stirs this same inclination in my heart. I was in a courtroom where a judge yelled at a woman who was just a nice lady. She got up to say something and he just started yelling at her because she was easily made a victim. She was a person who could be, you know, she was a woman and she was easily intimidated and he just, this anger dispute out of him. She doesn't realize that she was drawing that anger out of him. He was still choosing to be angry. He was still an angry man. But she drew it out of him because she was a victim. She had a victim heart. You know, she pulled abuse towards her because of her own low self-esteem. Made it easy for him. It just drew that evil anger and oppressiveness out of him. And I saw it, and I was angry with his oppression. I was angry with his tone, and my anger for his tone and his that spirit drew me into conflict in a spiritual realm. I didn't move, I didn't get up, I didn't say anything, but I became angry at his anger, and it drew me into the realm to the to the hell of his anger and other men suddenly noticed me in that courtroom. They hadn't noticed me until that point. I mean, they hadn't observed me. Suddenly they observed me. They realized I was there. You think you walk down the street. You think you go into your house and that there are walls there in your house that keep you safe. And they do keep you safe from the wind and the cold outside and from the hot sun up above. But spiritual things pass through those walls. Your neighbor, the spirit of your neighbor passes through those walls. And the spiritual realms are overlapping. And you can draw the evil from your neighbor's house by being angry with your neighbor. You can draw their evil into you. There was the movie The Avengers, where they have this scepter floating around, I don't know the whole details, but anyway, this blue jewel that's in the scepter, and they they want it amongst the Avengers, so that they supposedly all begin to bicker and fight amongst themselves, merely by the presence of the scepter, but it isn't so much the presence of the scepter, it's the desire for the power of the scepter, the, the desire to control the power of the scepter, Lord of the Rings, same concept. He makes nine rings and gives them away to men, each one having power. But then he gains control of those nine men. When you reach out and desire the trust of others, desire them to put you upon this pedestal of trust, when you do not follow the pathway of Christ, which is, that's what you're doing when you're doing that because you're falling to the temptation of Christ you draw the evil that is in them to you at least some of it there's different layers and different kinds of evil and you are that's the thing is just like god has these many threads of righteousness that can be attached in your heart and draw you into the kingdom through his grace so evil has threads dark threads and they draw you into, they're more like straws, because they're sucking you into their realm. If you're angry with the evil next to you, you're surfing God. Because only God has the right to be angry. You should not judge. You should not judge them or be angry with them, but you should pray for them. Pray for yourself that you do not become angry with them because their evil is drawn into your house through the walls when you are angry with your neighbor. That's why I say walk in forgiveness. So when you really walk in forgiveness, you don't have to worry just about your neighbor. You can walk into the middle of a riot and they, uh, their power is lost. They are parted like the Red Sea. They have to move, or physically move away from you. They will actually even bow down. Not to you, but to the spirit that walketh with you. But that spirit will not walk with you unless you walk in forgiveness. And once you walk in forgiveness, then you have to take the next step of God. Which is you have to be giving. You have to love your enemy. You have to love that person who is uncontrollably out of control and full of anger full of unforgiveness, you have to become intermediary of forgiveness for them. So when they ask of you, I mean, Jesus, every time Jesus was healing somebody, He would ask them something, and somebody would ask something of Him. Yet we know charity should often be bestowed because we just choose that we don't make somebody ask. But that's on a one-to-one basis. But if we're representing Christ as ministers, they must ask and they will receive. Now, there are times when you do that and there are times when you just simply bring it to the attention, this person needs help. Or maybe you, as an individual, go and just help that person. Do that all the time in the ministry. But when you're representing Christ, as a minister. That's a different position. The Levites were separate from the people because they belonged to God. The apostles were separate from the world. They were in the world, but they were not of the world. They were separate because they belonged to God. And to Jesus, they said, You're like my brother. I'm not your ruler. I want you to be ruled by the Father who art in heaven and by the Holy Spirit who dwelleth in your heart. But we are to be brothers in Christ. We are to be like those Levites, separate. Now, if they want to eat of the table of God, they should ask, and they shall receive. I can go and help anybody I want, anytime I want. God gives me that individual freedom. But when I'm acting as a minister of God, there is a process that they have to pray and ask. Uh, to eat of God's table, and then they may receive, and there's a reason why he did that on almost every occasion. now there is always exception. that's one of the amazing things about the kingdom of God. it's so flexible. The blind man, and I pointed this out many times, Jesus came up and nobody asked him to heal that guy. He chose to heal that guy. It was also the only time he took like clay. and and spit in it and rubbed into the spit and made this like mud, and then he put it on the guy's eyes, and then he left, and the guy was told to go wash it out, and he went and washed it out. He never saw Jesus, but he saw, and yet he believed in Jesus because his eyes were open, and then, you know, that's where he talks about men standing like trees and everything. He sees for the first time. It's an amazing thing. But then Jesus goes and looks for him and then he asks. <laughs> he didn't ask first, he asked, but he did ask. Still, who do you believe in? You know, and this is this is an important part of the process of this because the minister is not leading the people to the minister. He's not he doesn't own his congregation that he serves, he is owned already by God. Those people are entrusted to him by God, and he should be teaching those people to trust in God, not in him. He is not the ruler of a little kingdom of congregations. You want to be free souls under God? I want you to be a free soul under God. You have to start acting like a free soul under God and start following the ways of Christ. The ways of Christ were the ways of service. The ways of Christ were the ways of forgiveness. And there's a process here. And I don't care how much you saw when God sent you out without a purse. We have not yet got to Pentecost. Pentecost is when we come into one accord, not only with each other, but with God's purposes and way. And even after that, there was disagreement, and there was confusion, and there was times where we had to go into our individual prayer closets and work out our salvation with fear and trembling. So start forgiving your neighbors. Start forgiving your governments. Start forgiving those Useless, whiny <laughs> demonstrators abusing property and people. I mean, it's really hard. You see such injustice sometimes not to become angry. I tell you, when you feel that anger raise up in you, go into your prayer closets. Repent. Go back. Do not be a Saul. Do not be a corrupted David. Step back. Let God take control. And You have to see that evil and face it. This is essential. I know you, you're going to need to do a lot of contemplating of this concept. <laughs> this is not going to sink in easily. As he said, wherefore, I was made a minister according to the gift of the grace of God given unto me by the effectual working of his power. Saul had a lot of bad ideas that he got when he went to college and when he went and studied. And he learned from the tree of knowledge. But he was dedicated and wanted to serve God. Deep down in his heart he wanted to serve God. And because he wanted to serve God, God, through grace, through that desire of sacrificing his time and energy, God, through grace, opened his eyes. And, and he is opening the eyes of many people today. They will probably be in a minority but he is beginning to open their eyes. They must act upon what they are beginning to see so that their eyes won't be opened further. The blind man, another one of those places where he, he made this mud and spittle and put it in his eyes, and then he had to go and wash out the mud and spittle out of his eyes. Where did Jesus make people do that before? I mean, he just said, rise and walk. Here, he's got to go wash up. What's the deal? It was there that, so, yes, the ministry can go out and just give, even from the table of God, if led by God, to do so. But there is a process to this. This is individually. Individually. And ministers should be trying to follow that process accordingly. And they should be always humbling themselves and listening to these principles. If if there's something they're not seeing in this, they need to see it. And there were many things the apostles did not see before Christ's crucifixion. After his crucifixion, even when they walked and ate with him again, and they did not see it until Pentecost. And then their eyes were opened again. And the fact is, living in an infinite kingdom, there are many levels to this opening. But each of you individually are ministers of God. Altars of clay. In each household, altars of clay. Are you, are you painting the blood of Christ on your doorposts? that would be painting on your doorpost the blood of forgiveness, the blood of giving. And even though you could fire a 30-odd-six bullet all the way through your house and it could go in one wall and out the other, with the blood of Christ on your doorpost of your house, no harm will come to you. But if you seek to draw the blood of your neighbor, either by taking benefits at the expense of your neighbor or by uh, judging your neighbor or by hating your neighbor or angry with your neighbor or looking down upon your neighbor, then you're scrubbing the blood of Christ off of your doorposts and you will lose that protection. Now, this, this... this simple little concept, spoken in metaphor, is is a powerful mystery of the kingdom of God. And we need to understand that. What grace have you if you only love those who love you? You must love those who hate you, who despise you, who even want to war against you. I don't say you have to approve of them, but you have to love them. And that gives you an insight or could give you an insight into what love really is. Unto me, Paul says, who am less than the least of all the saints is the grace given that I should preach amongst the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ. You can't find these riches any other way than by grace and to make all men see what is the fellowship of the mystery, which from the beginning of the world has been hid in God, who created all things by Jesus Christ. To the intent that now unto the principalities and powers in heavenly places might be known by the church the manifold wisdom of God according to the eternal purpose which he proposed in Christ Jesus our Lord in whom we have boldness and across and excess of confidence by the faith of him. That is Our confidence is in the faith in Christ, in the way of Christ, in the way of love, in the way of forgiveness, in the way of patience, not in the way of rulership, either rulership of power or rulership of pomp. You know, there were were ministers who dressed in rags because they were truly humble men and did not think of dressing themselves up like the whited sepulchers of the Pharisees. But then there are men who wore their rags like vested garments, proud of their humility, if such a thing is possible. Noxie maybe you could say. But Paul says, wherefore I desire that ye faint not at my tribulations for you which is your glory. For this cause, I bow my knees unto the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, of whom the whole family in heaven and earth is named. That he would grant you, according to the riches of his glory, to be strengthened with might by his Spirit in the inner man. That's what you want. We want the Spirit of God dwelling in you. And every time you are angry and upset, you see yourself moving away from you. Till then, peace on your house. And may God be with you. God bless